you remember, the very first video I showed was about Orville and Wilbur Wright and uh, how, you know, they were the first people to, you know, get a plane up in the air and that their vision for it began when their dad had come home from a trip when they were boys and they had, it was this little wind-up helicopter, you know, it was a rubber band thing. So he spun it around and when he came home, he, he let it go and it flew across the room. And that just captured their imagination about flying. And then that led to all this stuff that they did as they grew up to that actual flight. And so something captures your imagination and you have to act on it. That's really the beginning of your calling or your vision or your purpose. And it's not just going to be one thing, but that, that's what, I, what we were trying to ask really in the first semester is what's that thing? What's that thing that you just say, I've got to do something about this? And sometimes it, it comes from, I see something and I'm sort of captured by it in fascination. And a lot of times it comes from frustration. I see something that's not going right or being done well or not being addressed. And it, it just gets at me. And now there's tons of them out there, but you can't act on every you know, impulse but my question was, and what Nehemiah was wrestling with is, what's that thing that you say something could and should be done, and I'm supposed to be a part of the solution? And that's what happens with Nehemiah. He's, he's, his people have been enslaved. They're in Babylon. They're not in Jerusalem, his hometown. And a report comes back to him from his brother saying, hey, Jerusalem's in ruins. All the walls are knocked down. The people is just in chaos. And it just grips Nehemiah's soul, and he just has to do something about it. So he prays about it, he, he fasts, he makes a plan, and then he courageously has this conversation with the king one day, because he's the cupbearer to the king, if you remember. And that's all where we've gotten to, to this chapter 2. So Nehemiah, has his heart has gotten gripped by something, Something that's stuck with him, not just, I really feel passionate about this, but tomorrow morning, I've kind of forgotten about it. So it, it, you may be in the place of, I just need to ask God, what's the thing that's really grabbing my heart, and what does he want me to move in on? But we're kind of past that here in the story. He's done all that, and he came to the king, he had this courageous moment, and he said, hey, king, I need some time off. I need some of your resources I need some letters of recommendation, and I'm going to go back and rebuild the wall. This is a very courageous moment for, for Nehemiah. So now he's actually traveled back to Jerusalem in chapter 2, and um, I just want to notice uh, three things as we look here at just the very beginning of, of this uh, chapter here, and, and we're going we're gonna to talk about these themes probably as we go through but really looking at Nehemiah right from this point forward, it's like getting a master's degree in leadership. I mean, he just, he does things so well. And if you just pick up on him and I would just pick up on him, that help us immensely. So the three things I'm going to have us take a look at right here is Nehemiah, he encounters conflict. Uh, then Nehemiah, uh, he has the discipline to care for his own soul. And then finally, Nehemiah helps define reality. So those are the three things that we're looking at this morning. And the first thing I want us to notice is that he, he, the very first thing he does is he encounters conflict. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9. 
Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river. I gave them the king's letters. Those are the letters of recommendation he needed to get back to Jerusalem. Uh, And the king had sent officers and an army with him. But then this guy that we're going to see over and over again, these two guys, Sanballat, I think is his name, and Tobiah, they heard about what Nehemiah was doing. They were in the region around. They see this army coming. They see all these supplies coming. And it it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So Nehemiah has gotten all this divine favor, right? He's been gripped by something, and he's just a, he's a pawn in the king's hand. And the king could say, dude, you don't get time off. You don't get my resources. But, but he's gotten all this divine favor saying, yes, I'm going to send my team with you. You're going to get these letters of recommendation. You're going to get wood. You're going to get all this stuff. And if I were Nehemiah, I might be like, man, God is just get, he's making a highway for me because all these hurdles, he's just going before me. And the very first thing he encounters is pushback. There's people from the surrounding region that don't have an interest in Israel getting back together and getting stronger. And my question is, when you get pushback, when you say, hey, this is what I should do, this is what I this is what I feel like God's called me to do. And you start getting that first sort of charge of conflict or people don't want you to get involved with it. What's your reaction to that? So we're going to talk a lot about conflict because Nehemiah has to face a lot of it as a leader, and you do too. But I'm just talking about that, init- that first push, that first sort of charge like, Hey, if I can just scare Nehemiah off right now, he, he can turn around. How do you respond to that first threat of conflict? Then we'll ask a later question, not today, but a later time. So how do you actually engage in conflict? That's another question. But right now I'm just saying you kind of have an energy, you have a vision, and, and, and there's an enemy that doesn't want you to accomplish that vision And the very first thing that happens is there's some kind of threat. And I'm wondering how many God-given visions have crumbled under the threat of conflict. Now, this is a fascinating little video about a guy. You'll you'll see it. But uh, he's out in the jungles. He's leading this group around. And they come across this bull elephant. And just watching this threat and how he deals with it, and then I want to talk about it for, for a moment.
on, come on, come on. Come on, come on. Come on, come on. Come on. I find that unbelievable. I mean, ab, yeah. I mean, I the fact that he just stands there with this however many ton elephant charging at him. That happens all the time. In 15 years of being a pastor, it happens all the time. People run at you, they've got a lot of energy, they've got a lot of passion, they might have money or power or influence or tons of that, and they come in trying to get you to say, I don't want you to say this, I don't want you to go this way. It happens all the time. It happens all the time in business. I know you felt that. You're trying to do something, and somebody that's going to take somebody's territory, that's going to cause them to have to have a change, and they're just going to start making a lot of noise, running towards you. And my question is just, when that happens, what do you do? How do you, like if this would happen to me, I'm running, right? I'm, I'm finding a big tree, hiding behind it, whatever. I'm peeing in my pants the whole way. That's me, but... But he just stands there, and I just think how many times if you would have not, you don't try to do anything, don't argue back, don't fight back, just stand there. How many of those threats would walk away? And a lot of times for me, that's what I've just to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to be here in 20 years. So we're going to have to work it out, or you're going to have to leave, or something, but I'm going to be right here. And a lot of times, just even in your family, hey, I'm going to be here. I'm going to just keep coming back. I'm going to keep standing here with my 14-year-old son or daughter who's melting down. I'm just, I'm not going to, it's not going to be a big argument. It's just, I'm going to stay here. So that's just my first question is you think about the first thing Nehemiah encounters is conflict. And as a leader, you're going to experience conflict if you don't, if you want to be a leader but don't want conflict, then you're not going to be a leader. That's just not possible. So that's my first question. I remember, that, and let me give you an example of one of the things that happened in, at New Hanover High School. Uh, Scott, it's good that you're here because you could imagine this. First time I go to New Hanover High School, this is 1989, I walk towards the cafeteria I don't really know very many people there. Nope, really, nope, hardly anybody knows me. And you know, you're walking into a high school cafeteria and you're not a high school student. It's actually kind of an intimidating, you know, place. And I'm walking there and a sophomore girl, she weighs like 90 pounds, and her little troop, none of whom I know, 
they come kind of charging towards me, not like a big bull elephant, but a 90-pound elephant. Hey, are you the new young life guy? Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking, this is awesome. They've heard of me, and I'm going to meet this little troop of girls. Yeah, I wish you hadn't come. That, that, that was this right here. Hey, you know what? After you graduate, I'm going to be here. That's not what I said, but that's what I said in my mind. And you think, a 90-pound sophomore girl, that can throw you off? Yeah, it can. And you might say, come on, Paul. Hey, when Peter was by a fire one night, a teenage girl said, hey, I think you're with Jesus. Isn't that right? Remember what he said? Yeah, I'm not. See, those threats, they happen all the time. All the time to your faith, to your vision, to your God-given vision. It happens all the time. So I'm just asking, what do you do? Second thing, a verse that you would read right by. I've read right by it many times. Verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem. The bull kind of charged there, verse 10. But I'm going to move on. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And I was there for three days. Now, why does Nehemiah write that? Because then he, then he starts saying, well, then, I, then at night I took a few men and we, we went around the city and looked at everything. Why, why does he say, I got to Jerusalem and then I, I looked around? Why does he say, I spent three nights or three days in Jerusalem before I did anything? Well, I'm not positive, but I'm going to guess that it was because Nehemiah knew how to take care of his soul. Nehemiah had just come from the king. He'd come on some five to 800-mile trip. He gets to his destination, and he realizes, hey, he needs his soul to catch up with him. He can't just immediately engage. And he understands, hey, i got to take care of my soul, so I'm going to take three days and I'm going to take care of myself. Because if I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, halt, then I'm not going to be a good leader. So that's a good acronym to just remember. I'm going into a situation, I'm hungry. What do you do when you're hungry? You're not super happy. Angry, lonely, tired, that's when you start making bad decisions. Nehemiah knows himself well enough. Hey, I've just had this really long journey, and before I do any inspection, and then I know it's chaos here, but i got to take three days to just rest. And so my question as a, as a leader, we're going to call this the, the energy bucket. And when you have a lot of energy you're physically healthy, you're spiritually healthy, you're mentally healthy, you sleep well. You know, then you have a high, you know, you're at a high level and you make, you make more quality decisions. If you're down here at the low level, you, you make a lot poorer decisions. You know this. And we can all say, hey, if you're a leader... There's all kinds of holes where this water leaks out, right? All kinds of ways you got to give your energy away. Well, that's, that's part of being a leader. But my question is, is twofold. Who's responsible 
for filling up your energy bucket. Yeah, you are. Not your boss, not your pastor, not your wife, not your friend, you. Now, your boss or your pastor or your wife could help in some way, but it's not their responsibility. If you're totally drained out, okay, but it's your responsibility to get your energy back up. It's not somebody else's. And a lot of times, especially men who aren't great leaders, they blame their lack of energy on situations. Well, this situation's so hard, so that's why I have no energy. Yeah, no, you don't have no energy because you didn't fill up your bucket. Those situations are, you take that situation away, another one comes in. So my question is, my, my, my question is who's responsible? Answer you. But then you knew the answer to that. My second question for you is, do you know what actually fills up your energy bucket? See, a lot of people think it's television. And guess what? It's not television. I'm not saying television's bad, but I, I come home, I'm brain dead, right? This was me last night. Had a tough conversation from 4 to 5.30. Went by the grocery store, had to get a piece of cake because that, you know, that always helps after a tough conversation. <laughs> Just come home, had to watch some television. Okay, so my energy bucket's down and cake and television was my solution last night. Does that fill my, my energy bucket? No. That's a ho- those are two more holes. Right? I thought I'm filling it up, but I'm actually putting holes in the bottom of my bucket. That's really smart leadership. So I'm not asking you to follow me on this one. But but my question is, do you know what that is? It's not the same for everybody. But a lot of times you say, well, I had my day off and I did all this stuff, but it actually didn't fill up your energy bucket. And so the first thing that we see with Nehemiah is he's willing just to stand still even in the face of big conflict. Why is he able to? He understands how to minister to his soul. He knows what what needs to go in for him to do that. And my question is, do you know what needs to go in to do that? I was uh, reading a story about European missionaries. You can imagine this. Western missionaries coming to uh, another country or continent. In this case, it was Africa. Western mindset and African mindset of time, in, in terms of time, they're totally different. I don't know if you know that. They just, their, their idea of how, being on time is a lot different than your idea of being on time. And these Western missionaries landed in a particular place, and they were going to uh, transport by mule and by human beings all the stuff they brought with them to this little outpost, and so they, they had this group of uh, African uh, porters that were there to take the trip with them. And they, they said um, that they wanted to go a certain mileage every day and then get there. But the Westerners were saying, hey, let's, let's try to go faster and farther than that because we're ready to roll. And so it says um, after uh, the second day, Every, all the Western European missionaries got up and said, hey, let's roll, but none of the workers would, would get up and move. And that was pretty frustrating for the Western missionary. So they asked sort of the guide what's wrong, and he says, we can't go any further. 
why not? Everybody looks like they're fine. And here was their answer. Yes, said the African man, but we went so quickly yesterday that we must wait here for our souls to catch up with us. See, you can look fine and be going at 400 miles an hour, but you don't have any idea where your soul is. So, do you know, like, do you know where you are on the bucket? Do you know what actually fills up your bucket? That's a huge, huge leadership quality, and we'll come back to that over time. Number three, finally, verse 12 through 17. So, he spends some time, he, he uh, gets on a, a horse he goes around, he expect, inspects the valley gate and all these different places, the walls. Uh, I went to the fountain gate, verse 14. Uh, I went by night, uh, inspected the wall. Uh, the officials didn't even know where I'd gone. I, I got off on foot at one point to, to go do this. Um, and so then he says, verse 17, Then I said to everybody, you see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. So third point, Nehemiah defines reality. This is really a, when you say everything's critical, then nothing's critical. But this is the third critical point that I'm mentioning here this morning. A leader has to define reality for everybody. That's a huge leadership role. And you've got to calculate the cost. You've got to see what, what's really you're dealing with for yourself and also for others. Jesus says this in Luke 14, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost? Ecclesiastes 7.8 The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Why is that? Everybody can begin. Really not hard to begin. Very hard to get to the end of something you begin. So defining reality, and I'm just going to close with this, this way. You've seen the, uh, you go to a mall or you go to some city you're not familiar with, it's a big city, have the map, right, of the city or the mall, and what does it say? You are here, right? So really when you come into your family, you come into your business, you come into a city, First thing he's going to say, okay, where, where are we? Not where everything else is, just where are we? So now we've defined reality. We know how to move out. So you're going to define reality about the current situation. So you're just looking around and saying, okay, I'm, I'm becoming the pastor of this church. What, what strengths do we have? What weaknesses do we have? We're just trying to define reality. You're not trying to make any judgments. You're just saying, what's real? Number two, you're defi- trying to define reality for you as a leader. You know, do I have what it takes to, to step into this situation? Because sometimes you, you might feel called to it, but once you define reality, you go, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it looked good from the outside, but now that I've defined reality, maybe I'm not that person. Maybe it's really some, somebody else to do it. So you're defining reality of as, as it really is. You're defining reality for yourself, and then you're defining reality for other people. You're, you're saying, look, we're in a mess, now, it would seem obvious that they're in a mess, 
But they've been living this way for 150 years. So you come into people's lives, I'm sure, and you go, your life is a mess. But they've never known anything different, so they don't really understand reality. So you have to come in and say, this, this is a mess, and we can't stay here. We've got, to do, we've got to do something else. And as a leader, you're defining reality. You're saying, Here's, here we are. Here's what I really bring to the table, not what I hope to bring to the table. A lot of leaders just say, I'm going to do all this, but they don't have the capacity to do it. So you've got to really define reality for yourself. Can you actually do what you're getting into? And then finally, for the people, you're saying, hey, guys, we can't stay here. This is a mess, and we're going we're gonna to do something about it, and we'll talk about that the next time. So just at the very beginning, as we think about this, and let's think about it for you, how do you deal just with the threat of conflict or pushback? Do you have any idea how to care for your soul? Do you know what the current condition of your soul is? Could you define reality about where your soul really is not where you hope it is. And have you defined reality either for your business, for your life, for 2018, for your marriage? I mean, you pick the, the area. Do you know what it is? Do you know yourself? Try, you, you assess the things correctly. All right, so there's several questions up there that deal with that. I'll give you about 15 minutes to get in a group of three or four and talk about it. Ready, break. <laughs>